Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 182 for May 12th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about bandsaw dust collection, working with small insert screws, choosing the right size hinge, and carving tool brands. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. Not just tools, but an entire system of saws, sanders, dust extraction, and more. All designed to work together for cleaner, faster, and more precise results. See the latest at FestoolUSA.com. Very nice. Love me some Festool. Uh, Speaking of sponsors, we actually do have individual sponsors. I guess that you could refer to them as that. Folks who help us on an individual basis with recurring donations or one-time donations. And uh, you could do that too at woodtalkshow.com. Look over on the side column and you'll see some quick links for that. And every little bit helps out. And we want to thank Joshua H., Robert T., and Jeff T. for their assistance. I wonder if Robert T. and Jeff T. are related. I was just going to say, like, that's a lot of teas for it to be a coincidence. Yeah, too much of a coincidence. You mm, have to let us know. related guys. to iced tea. Mm, that's true. He's a great actor. Uh, that, I've always <laughs> enjoyed all that work on uh, Law & Order. It <laughs> just went through the roof when he came on. <laughs> it did. All right, let's move into what's on the bench. I have a feeling we're all going to be fairly... At just looking at the notes here, there's just not a whole lot going on. <laughs> it's a weird time of year. It doesn't always uh, happen to all three of us at the same time. Uh, for me, I've just started gluing up the legs for the Moorish chair, which is going pretty well. And uh, that's that's about all the woodworking I've had time to do uh, lately. I'm doing a lot of prep for the uh, uh, weekend with wood coming up this week. I'm actually leaving on Thursday for that. So I've got a lot of prep work for the presentation, got some uh, test boards going. And uh, other than that, I'm just, I'm running away as fast as possible from Nicole's germs Um, because she just found out this morning she has strep throat and with a presentation in just a few days, I think I'm best to avoid it if possible. Was she like trying to give you, get you to give her a hug to console her? Like, Mark, I just, I feel horrible. Hug me. (laughs) Yes. She must not want me to go. I don't know what's going on here. Um, So yeah, the timing on this. you're saying your wife has cooties. Oh, she's got big time cooties and I'm Mm. staying away. So I have a spray for that. (laughs) Ooh, I don't know. It's, it's nasty stuff and I don't want it. And uh, let's just hope everything turns out okay. Because the last thing I want to do is be patient zero at a conference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not, and everyone's going to know it's me. You know? So all of you who are heading to wood, uh, Weekend with Wood, if you start feeling kind of feverish a couple days afterwards <laughs> and you did shake Mark's hand. Mm, hey, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think that would make national news and it would be really good for woodworking. Yeah, of, course, <laughs> yes. of course, that is big news, right? Uh, because you know, people will be like, oh, my God, that's terrible. And hey, people still woodwork. How cool is that? And they would like go <laughs> check it out. And that's a good yeah. idea. Well, and I'm, I'm always uh, always willing to share but I don't want to share that stuff. So yeah, come on, take one for the team. Whoosh. I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Hey, is that Alex? Yes. What's Shush. up, Alex? We're doing oh, the other co-host. We're doing a show guy. Settle down. Yeah. Well, UPS just drove by, you know, uh, that you have to bark when UPS uh, comes. That's by. totally excusable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shannon, what about you? Uh, well, after last week's talk of uh, mariachis and tacos, um, I, I hung up from Skype and I boarded a plane to Denver to find some good Mexican food. And, uh, <laughs> I always go to Denver for Mexican food. It's one of the places I always think of. Mile high Mex. Yeah, lots of failed health inspections there. It's really good, <laughs> good quality Mexican food. Now, I, I, had a, I had a marketing conference that I went to out there. So um, it's my long involved way of saying I haven't like darkened the door of my shop in almost two weeks now. Mm. And it's, it's, I'm getting shaky, a little bit shaky. 
So I'm actually hoping when we're done recording here to go down and work on some carving that has kind of been put on a back burner for, let's see, nine months now. Uh, oh something my. that I started. It's a it's a sign that goes next to the front door of my in-laws um, home up in Maine. Oh, your, just, your extra, va- your, your main vacation home, right? My main <laughs> vacation home, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like when people have boats, you know, they, they name the boat. Well, they, this is kind of a practice and the little vacation cottages up in Maine, everybody has a name for their house. So they have a name. It's called the runaway dog. It's some allusion to a, uh, a poem by some lady about how, um, you can be free and love life like a runaway dog or something like that. So, I did a carving of like a silhouette of a golden retriever and I have to carve the letters over top of it. Well, I never got to the letters and I kind of am still playing with the dog carving. It's literally been sitting on my lumber rack for nine months and they're heading up to Maine in like three weeks. So I figured I should probably get that done. So I'm going to go, go tackle that. Very we're cool. Done here. Very cool. After tacos. So uh, what tax bracket do you have to be in before you can start naming your home? Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm curious. No, I just call mine the dump. <laughs> I call mine house. You know, very. It's like house. a like a toddler who names a, a cat kitty or something. You know, like I don't know what else to call it. Hello, house. Well, in my neighborhood, I've noticed that you know it's not a vacation home; it's an actual residence. But apparently, it's whoever the previous owner was suddenly becomes the name of the house. <laughs> so we are. It's the Robertsons' house. Oh, you guys live at the Robertsons' house? Well, they haven't lived here for like eight years. So technically, I think it's ours. We can name it like the like the uh, green and green houses are named after the first owner, and you just carry it through. There you go. Well, I, I had a conversation with the Robertsons though, and they said that for the longest time, whoever the last person was, whose name is actually their their initial, is still on the knocker on the door. Huh. So that really throws people off. I think that started <laughs> with a K. You know, we always get mail for the person who owned this house first initially, and uh, his last name is Beaver. So, oh, nice. So this would be awesome. the Beaver House. <laughs> that's pretty cool i'll, I'll take awesome. that that i could think of worse things <laughs> yeah, the beaver shack's out back <laughs> the beaver shack <laughs> oh man all right matt what about you well i don't know how many ways can you say nada um there's nothing nada nil Yente. there you go all of those ways that you can possibly say it if you're all shouting those out right now pretty much that's about what happened with me over this weekend with it being mother's day i was concentrating all my, my energy on my wife, trying to make her happy because, you know, happy wife, happy life kind of a thing. So they say. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm still waiting for that to come true. Oh, gosh. I hope she didn't hear that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, though, I did do a few things, but nothing really worth talking about. So we, we can pretty much kind of skip it over because I, I don't think people want to hear about how I once again did this and did that because it's all the same thing. In fact, you want to know what I did? Listen to the last three episodes and there's a good chance that whatever I talked about, I'm still doing that now. That's the week in the life of Matt. That's right. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> For uh, some reason, it feels like a repeating uh, thing going around and around like a wheel. It's the yeah, same thing yeah. over and over. It's well, a circle. Well, I think next week we'll have a lot more to talk about. I'll, uh, I'll certainly have more from traveling, and uh, hopefully we'll all get back into the shop a little bit. Right. We'll be hearing from the uh, CDC as they start questioning us about your intentions. Yeah, maybe I won't be here. <laughs> maybe I'll be in custody somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's move into what's new. Got a couple of links, and there's a particular theme here. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it seems like the ladies are coming out to play on YouTube, and we've got a couple of channels to share with you, things that were brought to our attention, and a couple of great, uh, talented women who are showing off their woodworking skills and finishing skills, and uh, it does seem like they they also have something else going on, uh, websites and blogs that they uh, promote. In, In one case, one is a designer that actually sells some products, and she's just... Uh, doing this web vlog 
YouTube type thing just to kind of uh, get out there and make connections with people. So the first one we have here was sent to us by Jack and it's a, a, a lady named Lynn and the company is uh, Dar- Darbin Orver. And mm-hmm. that, I guess that's, there's a whole video explaining how the name came about, but that's the <laughs> name of her company. Uh, it's a fairly new channel. She's got a couple on, uh, quite a few on finishing and uh, it's a refreshing approach to the topic. And she's uh, very, very nice on camera. Very good uh, sort of, uh, you know, some people are easier to listen to than others when they talk. <laughs> like for instance, me, I probably make people's ears bleed. Uh, but she's very good. So, uh, very well lit videos, good quality, good information, and uh, a lot of good conversation coming out of, of her videos, which doesn't always happen on YouTube channels. So yeah, pretty much so. And I have, I have a little bit of a confession to make with this channel. I've subscribed to it for a while and, uh, she You're did stalking? a, yes, yes, I'm stalking. Although it is cool because <laughs> her show, the name of her show derives from her golden retriever, right? That's, that's awesome right mm-hmm. off the bat. But, I, uh, I left a comment on one of her videos one time. She was doing like refinishing and I made a comment about, did you, you go know, first? No, man, <laughs> shoot me if I ever do that. It, it was something to the, I was trying to, trying to be helpful. It was something like, have you thought about using a card scraper or something like that? And she responded with like, yeah, I actually did that first, but it didn't come out too well. And I reread the whole thread and it occurred to me that I just trolled her Whoops. and I felt so bad for like, oh. For like three weeks, I was like, oh, my God, I just became a troll. And it, it's so funny because it, it gave me an, an insight into, like, the mind of a troll because they're not all bad. You know, we just use the term, generic term, troll. Yeah. Some people are just trying to be helpful. But depending on how you word things, like, if you ever find yourself saying you should, bad. Yeah, Very bad. Yeah, yeah. Because when you Shannon, read it, no. and it suddenly, it suddenly occurred to me, oh, my God, people that I normally read their comments and go, what a jerk. I mean, they may not actually, they're probably not a jerk. They just didn't think before they wrote that down so yeah that must be I why she sent us that email, email. <laughs> yeah. well she sent us an email saying what's up with shannon what's up with that guy you guys are nice but man he's a he's a piece of work it was, it was one of those like like pit of the stomach like oh my god what did i just do dude so many there have been so many times where i like i don't always remember everybody's name but sometimes an email thread or something will happen and it'll stick with me and i'll be like my brain will lock it away that this guy seems nice but sometimes the way he words things makes me wonder like does he really hate me and he like he's just tolerating my existence what's going on and then i'll meet them in person and I have a totally different perspective on who they are. And it really does come into us reading into as, as producers. I think this is a problem that we have is we put too much into uh, the interpretation of a very simple set of words and just a few, I mean, and not everybody is really good at constructing a comment in a way that is, uh, you know, that that's acceptable to our ears as people who constantly get uh, hammered with feedback you know, right. and, and just a, a slightly different wording could have changed everything. But I think the problem is, is just as much on our end as it is on their end and how we're interpreting these things. Um, yeah. so, so it is good to see the other side and go, crap, look what I just did. <laughs> it was, it was awful. I mean, I'm not over-exaggerating. I felt yeah. horrible for like three weeks. Well, we're, I had to like uh, dig up her email and email or like you're a business account to say, yeah. I don't mean to be that way. But we're making I'm up one for of it. you. We're making up for it now. We're, we're, we're promoting her channel. <laughs> so hopefully there we go. I feel better now. She'll get a few extra clicks from us, hopefully. Well, nothing is worse, though, when you try to try to send out the, mis- you know, I'm so sorry. And then you just keep redoing it because you want to apologize for the, you know, I really seriously, I sent you another one. I'm so, I'm like, why? No. <laughs> now you're harassing her. Yeah. Now, now <laughs> I've hit, oh, I, I'm banned now. Well, that takes care of everything. <laughs> yeah, just one email is enough. It's, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll just let it go from there. Well, you know, as you mentioned, we do have a, a second uh, female uh, woodworker here. Uh, and again, this one, I, you know, both of these women, I have to say that I had to be careful when I was watching these because once in a while, Sam will go, um, what are you watching? What are you uh, watching, mister? Yeah, I'm like, um, well, she makes some really good content. Look, I'm trying to get some ideas. And uh-huh, I bet you're getting ideas. <laughs> Oh, so uh, this one is uh, <laughs> this is April Wilkerson, and Dan sent this one to us, and he says, you know, hey, she has some really cool projects and great tips for beginners. It's also nice to get a feminine perspective on things. So I went went ahead and head on over there. I haven't had a chance to uh, watch much more than I think the very first one it was like uh, the shop talk me and a build video is what she has it, but she's got stuff on there like a porch swing, uh, perfect for Mother's Day. She had a Mother's Day gift up there, which looks like a plant stand if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she kind of talks about some hardware. She has a neat DIY glass waterfall. That one looks like it was a pretty popular one. And she kind of goes, the one thing I'm going to say, and I, I, I mean this in the nicest way, maybe I shouldn't say it if I have to reference it that way. Yeah, if but, you have to have a, like a disclaimer in front of what you're about to say, <laughs> you may not want to say it. Okay. Well, the, I, I think this is still nice. The both look, both shows look really well produced. There's some nice content in here. I will say that April is more of a, a NASCAR while, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Lynn. Uh, Dar- Lynn. Darbin? Uh, oh. Is more of a, a formula racer, <laughs> I will say, in the in the way that it appears. But that's just looking at the uh, the book cover. That's not del- diving in deep. I think, regardless, you're going to find both of them to be a really good watch NASCAR's and get you some popular, great stuff so out. It's probably a compliment. Oh, well, in that case, you're I'm welcome, April. Thoroughly confused by that evaluation. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> I don't. I have no, no idea what you mean. <laughs> oh wait, I Other just than- started following this girl on Twitter. Oh, okay. Cool. It's really neat, though, because ultimately, you know, this is something that we've been, you know, I think the three of us have been there for the most part since the beginning, if not producing, at least consuming and then producing soon after. Uh, It's very interesting to see the growth of of the whole community. And now we're at a point where these videos, these are the videos that they're making are a little bit different. They're not quite as like, I feel like the pace is allowed to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. which is which is yeah. contrary to a lot of what we've been seeing uh with other content that we watch. Um so so they are slowing down a little bit. They're delivering the information in a more conversational fashion um which which is just an interesting way to go but still high quality video production, uh good, you know, decent quality sound and, and the projects are I mean projects are always projects. You take it or leave it. Some people love it, some people don't. Um but but still overall it's just very interesting and fun uh to watch things to develop in the online space this way. Absolutely. You know what never ceases to amaze me is how many views shop tour videos get. Oh, God, yeah. That's just like <laughs> got 12,000 views on this shop tour. Yeah, yeah exactly. If, if you, if you want to get your name out there, start with a shop tour. You never need to do another video. That one will go on forever. Nicole uploaded some old videos. Like Not everything I did made it onto YouTube, and her job right now is going back and making sure the entire catalog is up there. And there's like a four-year-old shop tour video that was <laughs> uploaded that suddenly has like competitive with the rest of my videos, the number of views that it has. It's like, why? Like out of nowhere, it's crazy. And but, comments from people going, "What happened to your big shot?" That's man? the other yeah, thing. Exactly. Did you sell it? Those. What happened to the quality of your videos? You're really going downhill. <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> All right, don't let the door hit you in the ass. Um, <laughs> okay, so there's one more that I wanted to share. That uh, last minute here, I forgot to mention uh, the latest Highland Woodworker came out, and I believe it's episode uh, twelve. And Matt, you'll be very excited to know they feature Mary May. Mary May, trust me. I was like, uh, can I get a preview of that before? Else. God. Oh man, set them up and you knock them down. 
but really she good episode. Added her, her spam list. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good one. You definitely want to check it out. I I have a Chromecast and I just kind of expanded this thing to full screen in one of my Chrome tabs and sent it to my big screen TV and watched it in the living room. Uh, people who keep asking for TV shows on woodworking, stop. Just find the technology that allows you to get some of this great content and stream it to your TV. Exactly. Um, I mean, Chromecast is what? 30 bucks. Um, there are great ways if you just want to see the stuff on the big screen, but let's not take this stuff to television where they're going to chew it up and poop it out. And it's going to be, you know, literally crap. Yep. Um, not everything is, but seriously, the, the time limits on television, uh, force these people to produce very, very short videos that don't tell you very much, give you much information. This stuff is fantastic. And then look at all the, the stuff we were just talking about on YouTube. You get all of that on your TV. So stop asking for it. Just enjoy the great stuff that's out there because I think it's 10 times better uh, than things we were ever able to get on television. Absolutely. And even the people that are producing the shows, the hosts will tell you that there are times when they're like, I just want to expand. And they're saying, mm, nope, this is good what you have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's move into our poll of the week by our buddy, Tom Ivino. He asked the question, do you build magazine projects? So basically the plans that are published in, in magazines every month, do you ever build those? Oh, I thought it was like, do you build them and then submit them to the magazine? I'm like, wow, are there really a lot of people that are doing that? <laughs> Probably not that many. Um, a full quarter, 25% of people say uh, only one or two things. And this is sort of on a per issue basis. So actually, that's to me, that's kind of a high number. A quarter of the people at least build one or two things. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. oh, I expected it actually to be just a little bit lower. Not much. I was thinking 24%. I'm I'm looking at this poll. What is 50%? I'll pick and choose 24%. There's two percentage things in this list. I'm really confused by these numbers now. <laughs> did, did he give one too many options again? Is that what we're running oh, into here? No, I guess I'm looking. It's maybe I guess I got to pick the second number. So 41% said uh, only one or two things. Okay. Okay. That's uh, that's even more. Uh, weird anyway so uh, we got the whole poll there you could look at the results but it does bring up an interesting question i mean a lot of people do still subscribe to to magazines but uh, curious out of you both of you guys how often do you even build anything for magazines anymore um it's been a long time in fact i think the last time i did probably was either just when the show started or just before the show started yeah was the last time i really did anything probably something from wood magazine something small like a I know I built a lot of things out of Wood Magazine, well, but that's probably going back five years. Mm-hmm. Didn't the Rocking Horse, wasn't that originally featured in a Wood Magazine episode? Yes, or yes, yes issue? an episode of the magazine. Yes, an yeah. episode of the it magazine, was a, which was in print, which was an old-fashioned way to get your podcast. Right. Uh, it was a Wood a wood magazine project. So yeah. And I also did um, a couple of, I can do that series from pop woodworking. Um, but that was really done specifically with the intention of getting a easy to, to make project with very few tools. And and those, I can do that projects were perfect for that. So I did a few of those, but since then I, I haven't, uh, just hasn't come up. Hmm. All right. Well, let's jump into our kickback. This is where you get to uh, tell us some stuff. Maybe it's about stuff that we said, corrections or additions. Additional information is always welcome. First one here is from Justin, and it's a it's a twofer. The first one is about uh, buying materials. He says, buying the right amount of materials. As a professional, only one thing has made more of an impact on the way that I plan and build more than more than SketchUp, and that's the Cutlist plugin for SketchUp. Easy to use, and as long as you model using components or groups, you you can't screw it up. 
Uh, I bet you, I bet you Matt could. He could oh, find a way. trust me. Um, you said the plug-in. I went out and found it. I already screwed it up. <laughs> it's already broken. Uh, and I only... have the, we have the best plug-in, though. Um, and Mark uses it quite frequently. It's called Aaron Marshall. That's right. I just plug nice. him right in. The and Aaron he, Marshall plug-in. I plug him in, and he goes. It's great. Uh, he says it not only gives you an actual cut list, but lays out each individual piece of your project on boards whose sizes you designate. It also will lay out parts on plywood, ensuring the most economic use of your sheet goods and lumber. It has uh, cut down on waste and overspending on projects by at least 30% for me. So I, I've heard about this plugin. I just never got off my butt to install it, uh, but it definitely sounds like it's something worth getting into. His second bit of feedback is on spraying clear finish and paint. We talked about uh, someone who wanted to spray paint through, uh, I think it was actually my email question concerning HVLP. He says, try colored lacquer. If you have a spray gun for any type, pre-cat lacquer is the best finish in almost every way. If you need to paint, you can buy colored lacquer in every color under the sun, find a supplier of pre-cat lacquer, and they can usually color it to match any paint and any sheen that you want. The benefits are that you use the same tip size for clear and colors, clean with the same thinner, spraying technique is the same, a simple flush with the thinner, and you can go from color to color, and you end up with something with a something that's as durable as the clear lacquer. Win, 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 win. And uh, honestly, I couldn't agree more. I've done a few painted projects with colored lacquer. I've even used my own UTC pigments to put into the lacquer. So you can kind of tint it one way or the other, just going with clear lacquer. And it works remarkably well. Um, It's a great way and and really just a gorgeous looking uh, painted finish that you would have trouble reproducing if you truly were using some sort of paint. I need to do that. <clears throat> My wife loves that look. Really? Yeah. It gets, yeah. It's got so much depth for a solid color piece when you do it that way. It's really, really cool. Interesting. I break yeah. that one up. You know, going back to his comment about the plugin for uh, SketchUp, there's a, can't you take a picture? See, this is how well I know SketchUp. Even though I've read all of Bob Lang's books, I just look at the pictures. I never actually read the content. <laughs> yeah. But isn't there a way you can take a picture and then you can develop the drawing from that picture? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can import things into yeah, you know, when, you, when you import the picture, you can set the scale. Okay. <clears throat> there's a little bit, uh, there's probably a more elegant way to do it, but there's a little bit of kind of messing around to kind of get the scale right. But like if you know how tall a cabinet is um, and then you import the, the photo and as long as you've got that photo kind of cropped right to the cabinet, mm-hmm. because then you can say, okay, the cabinet's, you know, 60 inches tall and I want the photo to be 60 inches tall. So, of course, if you've got a bunch of white space around the cabinet, then the cabinet's not going to be 60 inches tall. And then you kind of just use the, whatchamacallit, the measuring tool to derive your your components from that. You can also, like, trace the components, um, like, trace the style and then move it over away from the photo and do it that way. That's how I've done it before. I was just thinking how cool it would be to uh, take pictures of your lumber stack and just be able to, like, put your components over that rather than having to, like, punch in where you put the numbers. It would be really awesome is if you just take a picture of the stack stacked and it just went ahead and sorted it for you. Yeah, and then just Probably. feed that into the CNC and crack open a beer and... You know what? Just go to the furniture store. Woodworking. Just, <laughs> just buy the furniture you need. You know, just Why get it didn't over I think with. of that one before? That's what, well, that's what Samantha suggests all the time, too. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go to Ikea. Let's just cut Why to the chase try to make man. this stuff. Yeah. It's gonna take have you guys, since, since we're on this topic of plugins, have you guys ever used that joinery plugin? It's a premium one. I'm pretty sure it costs mm-hmm. something. Oh, I if think. it costs something, then no. <laughs> Definitely like, not. <laughs> I don't think it's much, but it, like, does just with a click of a button does like mortise and tenon and dovetail joints for oh, you nice no i've never oh, actually used any plugins with sketch i keep wanting i keep you know it's because it, it and i don't think it's much it's probably like five bucks it's probably more than that but it it's not a lot 
Um, and I keep thinking I should do it just because I never add joinery to my SketchUp models because that's not what I use SketchUp for. But now that I'm like producing models for the hand tool school, I kind of feel like a slacker if I don't, mm-hmm. uh, especially when there's this guy over this wood whisper guild that produces like these gorgeous models that are all pretty with multiple pages and like dancing. Well, that's what he uses the Aaron like Marshall plugin. That's how he gets those. <laughs> I just like saying if there's anything we're known for, it's gorgeous models. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> stuff. Well, you know, of course I'd be able to afford these extra premium plugins if I had more than one vacation home too. But anyways, let's move on to Clem's <laughs> kickback. <laughs> no, seriously, we have this one from Clem and he says, having purchased a professional type CNC from Laguna. Wow. That was a really good transition in a kind of weird way. Sort going of. right into the CNC. He says, my woodworking range of capabilities has gone through the roof. I discovered it is a perfect machine to complement all of my other standard power and hand tools. A substantial amount of time we spend in the shop is dedicated to making things that are not part of a finished project. So, for example, uh, templates, jigs, clamps, etc. Templates are a big item, and we strive to make them perfect. Examples are, say, curved part templates that allow us to use a router to create hundreds of various profiles. Things with weird hole diameters. Clamping coals with slight curves allowing added pressure for glue-ups. Little widgets to accomplish thousands of problem-solving things. One of the neatest things I have just used used a CNC for was milling an end grain cutting board. Who do we know that makes end grain cutting boards? Nobody I know. I made one. (laughs) I heard they're really good for wedding (laughs) gifts. They are. Uh, Anyways, try that with a planer or any other type of tool. All of the above, plus the advantage of absolute control of depth Z access for every small dado and rabbits while making boxes and other stuff. Its precision is remarkable and its capabilities only limited by one's imagination. When the uninformed ask me what it is, I tell them it's a $6,000 template maker. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. I think that's the problem. I think it could be useful to have, but the, uh, the entry fee to get into that game is a little bit high for us to go, you know, just to try it out. Yes. Um, I much prefer to just know somebody who can help me <laughs> with their CNC. From what I understand, exactly. the drop off in performance below that is pretty dramatic. Yeah. Like it's just, if you're going to go there, mm-hmm. you got to go all in or you're going to regret it yeah, because like, it's like, not like, you know, you drop off to two grand, you know? So it's not like you're, Oh, well I'm only out two grand. Well, no, it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, that's a <laughs> Unless you have, you know, a main and an alternate vacation home. Right. Well, you know what? I feel like I should clarify because then this came up on a thread on Facebook. I think at one point that none of us have vacation homes, let alone multiple vacation homes. This is like an old joke that goes back to <laughs> Shannon's in-laws. Oh, why do you got to ruin the fun? I, just, I like it when they get all angry. About I just don't that. want people going around thinking that like we've got multiple vacation homes uh, between the three of us. I think we have exactly zero vacation homes. Yeah. yeah. My vacation home is when my friends say that they're not heading up to their vacation home and then i sneak up there and break in the back window there you go i'll just tell you the same thing i said on twitter i have multiple vacation homes one's a four season tent and the other one is a two season tent (laughs) there you go but the four season it's got a vestibule it's really nice have you named it and put a carving outside of it no i should do that that. yeah be careful because if you put it on the wrong pole it could collapse the whole thing the carving will be heavier than the actual tent itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Shannon, you got the last one. I forgot to put your name in there earlier. All righty. This is from Brian. He says, it's not necessarily a kickback, but something I've had success with when spraying a finish in my small, messy shop. I think this is in relation to somebody had a question about this. Like, how do they spray without getting bug guts and dust in it or something? Right. I stapled a canvas drop cloth to a two by four and hung the two by four to the ceiling putting an eye bolt on each end of the two by four and hung it to hooks I installed in the ceiling. Okay. It's confusing 
correctly written. Odd words. Um, <laughs> I, I did that to three drop cloths to make a three-sided spray booth. I faced the spray booth so it opened towards the door so I could put a box fan in the door for ventilation. I used spring clamps to hold the corners of the drop cloths closed so the drop cloths would catch the overspray. The drop cloths also work to keep the dust from the rest of the shop from getting into my finish. When I'm done, I roll up the drop cloths onto a 2 by 4 wrap them in shrink wrap, put them in a paper bag, staple them, put them in another paper bag. I'm sorry, that's Saturday Night Live. Um, keep the dust off, rehang it from the ceiling, and store them out of the way. I also use my shop vac to clean the ceiling above where I'm spraying to prevent dust from falling into my finish. I use clamp lights and clamp to the 2 by 4s to light the work area. Wow. Works great, keeps the dust off, and just be sure to let the drop cloths dry fully before rolling them up. That's, it's really good that he said that because I would not have thought of that. <laughs> These won't come undone. They're, they're stuck. Yeah, he says, I have, I have one that will not unroll because I was impatient. So oh, thanks, Brian. Very detailed. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but if you're trying to get good results with a makeshift setup, then you're you're going to have to do that type of thing. Um, yeah, I still spray in the driveway and just kind of deal with it, but uh, I often wonder if I should just kind of make a little bit of a, I don't know, sort of an interior lean-to by a window and just kind of have, <laughs> you know, a, two sides and a top and see if we can't uh, get some better results that way. Yeah, no kidding. Hmm, cool. Sweet. All right, uh, we've got no voicemail today. What? I know, right? Well, oh, we got to do a couple listeners will be happy about it, but uh, everyone else will be sad. <laughs> right? You know who you are. You know who you are, sir. <laughs> uh, okay, we got some email here, and the first one I have is from John and Kayla. Uh, I guess this is from John's writing this. He says, my 12 year old daughter and I love the show. Well, let's say hi to Kayla. Hello, Kayla. Hey, Kayla. Thanks for listening with your dad. Thanks for tolerating three buffoons talking about woodworking. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll try to keep this very clean from now on. (laughs) I don't usually think of a 12 year old girl listening to this show, but now that kind of changes everything. It'll last about half an episode. She'll grow up real fast listening to this show. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, he says, we listen to it in the car. And of course, uh, while we're working in the shop, we're looking for advice on improving dust collection for a bandsaw. It's a five-year-old 14-inch jet bandsaw connected to a Delta 5760 dust collector, one and a half horsepower. We use an adapter to fit the DC to the jet's single dust port. We directly connect the collector to each machine, so no blast gates or Y connectors are used. Any recommendations on improving collection would be greatly appreciated. And I think if you ask around, anybody who has one of these 14-inch bandsaws can probably agree with you that the dust collection from that little tiny, I don't know, what is it, two-and-a-half-inch port, uh, if that, it might be an inch and three-quarters. I'm not really sure, but it's small and useless, much like yes. uh, they used to this refer to the, me as a the, child. The port's down at the base, right? Down at the bottom of the, the it's lower under, wheel? Uh, it depends. It probably depends on the manufacturer for the jet. I know it's up near the lower guide area. So right under the table. Uh, and so, so basically what it comes down to is you need to increase the diameter. So off of your dust collector, you've got a four inch hose, got to figure out some way to get that level of collection to the saw. And I've got a couple of links that I'm going to share with you. I'm not going to regurgitate all this information, but there's a Highland woodworking link, a YouTube video of a modification and a wood central link that I've got for you showing different shop made solutions. Now they sell dust ports that you could buy and you essentially would have to uh, cut a hole and then screw it to a housing. And then you can connect a four inch uh, dust collection hose to it. Um, A lot of times people will just collect from the side, the little door that opens up to let you access the wheel. They'll just punch right through that 
and put a hose there. Other times people are trying to get better collection and close off the area under the table, kind of like the jet unit does, uh, but a little bit more effectively. So they build this housing around it and then again have a four inch dust port. So you might try one of those things, both of those things ultimately would give you a much better uh, collection, but you can certainly do better than what comes from the factory. And I think these three links will give you some good ideas. Right. Sweet. Cool. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to go into this next question. This is actually a two-part question from two different individuals. I'm kind of following the lead from you two in the last uh, couple of episodes. We would yeah, just make it quicker. Of, okay. Well, in that case, here's the answer. No. <laughs> the, the first one comes from Achilles, and both of these are hardware questions. So the first one is Achilles saying, I'm building some wood jewelry and working with insert squirrels. Squirrels? Squirrels. Insert squirrels. Insert screws on the micro scale, so less than two millimeters. What's the best way or technique to make sure I'm screwing these in tight and and straight in order to best anchor the next screw that goes into it? So just for clarification, if you're not sure what we're talking about here, this is the insert screw. So in other words, this is a threaded piece that has yet another set of threads on the inside. Uh, and you would typically use this, say, if you're maybe making some some jigs or, again, in this situation where Achilles is talking about maybe this is what he's going to put the hinges into. Uh, that's At least that's what I have in my head. But anyways, though, when it comes to these, the big thing is to make them, get them in nice and straight. And oftentimes the biggest concern is that you're going to end up maybe making the, uh, the hole that they're going to go into too big. You want it just when you pre-drill, typically you go down about a size or so uh, than you actually need. And then that way, as you're threading these in, uh, they'll, they'll be really, really nice and tight. The concern, of course, is always making sure that they don't go in on, a, on an angle. When I've used these before, I have done just that. I've accidentally kind of gotten them angled. So when the screw that goes inside of it goes in, it gets a little bit of an angle. Uh, a great video. I'm going to go ahead and post this uh, in, in the show notes. I'll have Mark post it. Uh, this is a YouTube video. There's a couple of really great ones out there. The main thing is to get that initial uh, hole Nice and square. So if you have a drill press, this is a great time to take advantage of it. If not, uh, you can easily start the drill a hole or drill the hole with your uh, your your drill. Oh my gosh, why am I totally blanking on work this? Work it out, oh Matt. Work it out. Yeah. I'm working Shake it, it off. Shake it off. So, anyways, if you can get that hole nice and straight first, then it goes in really easy. There's some some really simple jigs out there. Rockler has uh, a decent one, but I think more or less when I go to do this, I just use a straight slotted screwdriver because they often have little little slots at the end of it to make it just that much easier. So if you get that pilot hole drilled nice and straight, these go in rather easily uh, and straight also. This was so much better in my show notes. Darn it. This all sounded so much better in my head. It did. It really did. <laughs> well, anyway, so let, let, let's go ahead and move on to Bob's question because I think I slaughtered Achilles enough. Basically, watch this video that I'm going to put up for you, and you'll see exactly how to do this. They go in really super easy, those insert screws, and you'll have no problem with it. I think you're just overthinking uh, the concern, Akili. Now, Bob, hmm. again, kind of think about overthinking, says, my question relates to the selection of hinges. Is there a rule of thumb for the width of the hinge in relation to the width of the box, such as my current project is mahogany box, 16 inches by 10 inches, and I would like to use some Brusso stop hinges, but I'm unsure of which width would be best. Now, when it comes to selecting the width of the hinge or the actual hinge itself, this is one of those, my rule of thumb is if it looks good and it fits, I'm going to go with it. And from what I was uh, checking out some other lo- other uh, sources for their suggestion on hinge selection, and it was kind of along the same lines. It's like one of those, there is no necessarily proportions, as in if it's this thick, it has to be this size 
hinge, unless, of course, you're talking about hanging an outside door or something. Uh, but when it comes to actual furniture pieces, oftentimes you want to just find what works best for it and go from there. You'd be able to eyeball it rather easily. Uh, the only time you would really start worrying about like rule of thumb is when it comes to the weight of the door. So again, maybe that outside door, or if you have a large cabinet where you have a really long door, rather than going with two hinges, you might want to consider three just because the weight of the door on the hinges. So the rule of thumb overall is just look, go with what looks good. I think you also might want to be concerned with, you know, when you mortise this hinge in place, how much material is left between the hinge and the end of the workpiece? That's true. You know, yeah. so so if it's too wide, you may wind up going full width, which I mean, if it's actually easier sometimes because you just kind of remove all the way across the the, the board. Uh, but sometimes you you really do want a little bit of extra material because now you've got support on at least three sides of that hinge. You know, so sometimes sizing it, just bring it down enough so that you have a good amount of stock on all sides of that hinge. Um, for me, at least, that's that's a good rule of thumb. I like to have some material on all sides of the hinge. Well, three right. sides, three sides of the hinge. Definitely. Cool. Yes. Sweet. What, what he said. said. Yeah, that guy. All right, you're up, Shannon. Do All right, it. this comes to us from Ben. <clears throat> ben says, I'm wondering what brands you would recommend for wood carving gouges. I have a whole set except for a V parting gouge, so I figured I would take Shannon's advice on tool purchase. I don't remember this advice, so I'll just take his <laughs> word for that um, and get myself a really nice one to start a set, as long as my wife doesn't kill me for spending too much. That's going to happen i saw a few june a few bleh, 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 bleh. <laughs> a few pretty british i saw them <laughs> in concert few, when i was in college yeah they were awesome the bridge <laughs> and their third piece is incredible mm-hmm. okay where was i i saw a few german brands like two cherries and a few swiss brands um he did say something about i realize you guys don't carve that much but um carrie holtman has retired so he didn't know also how who else to turn to? So, Carrie, I know you're driving back from Maine right now, and you must be looking for something to listen to. So listen to this show and use it as inspiration to come back, please. Please. All right. So um, what I'm wondering is what set of carving gouges did you get that did not include a V parting gouge? Because that's like the tool. <laughs> it's like the tool that gets used for everything. So apparently a, a, cr- a crappy one, Shannon, bad set of tools. <laughs> um, you know, this is one of those things where I kind of went down this hole for a while thinking, Oh, I, I should get some better carving gouges. I use file, the Swiss made ones just because I could get them for woodcraft and I could order them by the chisel. And it was just the easiest thing for me to do. Um, and I kind of stuck with it from that like OCD desire to have all the tools the same mm. uh, as I've, continue to add chisels well there's been some other ones that have come on in the market some others that i've come to know through like really good wood carvers um are you now has a, a nice line of chisels carving chisels um christopher pie is a big fan of them he's got a, a set of chisels that he worked with are you to create so christopher pie is a, a amazing artist and wood carver so I trust his recommendation that they're really, really good. Mary May, on the other hand, is a big fan of Dastra. It's, a, I believe, also a German carving tool. Hmm. But Mary will also be the first person to tell you she's got file. She's got some two cherries. I think she's got a couple of RUs. She's got some other ones that I don't even know what they are. Um, she's got more carving chisels than, than most people. And she's got a whole bunch of different ones. 
Uh, Chuck Bender, on the other hand, you know, does a lot of furniture carving and does it really, really well. I took a class from Chuck. Uh, he uses file, Swiss maids. So it's one of those things where obviously there's people who are really, really good at carving, much better at carving than, than I, who use three different brands with great success. So I, I think if you are looking to expand and add a few more chisels, this might be an opportunity to try a couple of different brands. You know, you're only adding one chisel or two right now, but eventually you're going to add another chisel. So I would suggest picking, you know, pick a brand and get one. And then the next time get a different one, Um, you know, with the exception of kind of the British numbering system and the um, what is it? Is it European numbering system and the British numbering system? There's two different numbering systems. They're not dramatically different other than one numbering system. the, The number one is a flat chisel. Um, and the number two is a skew chisel and other numbering systems. The number one's a flat chisel and the number two is a slight, slight curvature, slight, slight sweep to it. That's really the only difference. I don't think you're going to, you know, be in trouble because one's in millimeters and the other is in inches. Um, cause I've also used, um, whatchamacallit, Ray Isles, Ray Isles. One of the aisles, 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 <laughs> aisles, aisles brand of chisels that I got from Tools for Working Wood. I've got one of those and it's a great chisel. There is a lot to setting up and getting the chisels working like you want. Um, Christopher Pye calls it commissioning a chisel and getting the bevel angle and everything. But that has really nothing to do with the brand. So this is one of those things where I wouldn't think about it too much. Um, you know, they, I think all use good steel. They all have nice handles. They all make pretty carvings, and there are master carvers who use all of these brands. So, you know, cover your eyes and point, and what you come up with, you should be okay. That was the uh, the method my wife used to find a husband. A husband, nice. Oh, uh, Sam used the same one. They must have must have had the same. <laughs> they read the same book. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to actually throw in a surprise question here. We got a little bit of extra time, and it's a email that I think all three of us can kind of equally address, talk about a little bit, and we'll round out the end of the show with this. That's a question from Tucker. He says, I just received the umpteenth woodworking email with a pitch to have me read something online. I saw in the link that it was an article for dealing with snipe. I think this must be the thousandth article on this issue. I've been to my share of classes and read far too many articles. It seems that the vast majority of what's covered in print and online are sometimes in the vicinity of covering topics of interest that deal with the beginner to novice woodworker. It seems a person can only gain so much from reading anything about techniques and methods. This information overload also seems to keep us from the shop. Conversely, I know some professionals in cabinet shops who've created some masterful works in business and home businesses and homes who've never watched a minute of video or opened a woodworking magazine. They just learned on the job and continue to crank out projects. Finally, my question, do you believe our capacity to develop as woodworkers is for some hindered by too much emphasis on watching and reading and not simply doing? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would said done. That's easy. (laughs) No, I I have a slightly different viewpoint on this, though. The thing is, I think that because of the accessibility of this information, the pool of potential woodworkers is much larger than it used to be. So if even only a small percentage of this new group of woodworkers, maybe 10% go on to actually build stuff and not be, you know, not get caught up in the excessive like amount of information, then we are 5%, 10% to the good. Because if this stuff wasn't there, those people may never have found their love for woodworking. The guys who were working in the shops uh, locally and cranking out projects and aren't online, they would have been doing that anyway. 
regardless of the development of this online community. So I do think people get bogged down in it, but I also don't think those people would be interested in woodworking had they not found that information that's bogging them down in the first place. So it's a necessary evil. Mm. I think it's just something that's out there that's going to, like any craft or any hobby or something, there will always be a percentage of people who will just love reading about it, talking about it, and may never actually do it. That's just the way this goes. But if Well, that's true because, I mean, when you think about like in the guild, it's always been like a running joke with uh, any of the, the organizations that are out there. There's always that one person. I mean, you know, this has to be true because they've like drawn cartoons about this where there's the one person that has like every book, every DVD, every VHS tape, whatever, and they can name the exact, you know, scene that that particular piece of information is in. But if you ask them to perform it, they're like, well, no, I haven't had time. (laughs) They're sort of uh, theoretical students of the craft in a way. I mean, to give them a, a very positive spin. Uh, you know, so, so for me, I don't know that it really matters that much. I think the fact that this information is there to get bogged down on in the first place is a good thing because those who want to do will do those who want to read will read. Um, and I do think there are some people who could use a little bit of a push to say, okay, you've read enough, you've watched enough videos now go in the shop and, and try to make something. But I don't think that they need to be, you know, reprimanded or something to say, you know, you suck because you don't actually do woodworking. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? So to me, I think this is a very positive sign that we have enough people interested in woodworking that these videos are out there thriving, that they're doing well because there's enough people who give a crap about them and that we are getting new woodworkers into the craft because they got exposure potentially from one of these new venues. Right. Well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I agree with that. I'll take that a little bit further and say, on the on the the converse, as he says, conversely, I know some professionals who never watch a minute and create masterful stuff. I know some of those folks, and I, frankly, despite the incredible things they create, I'm appalled by how they do it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and yes, some of it is unsafe, but yeah. then other times it's like, dude, you were making that way too hard. You know, and I, and I feel I, I, of course, don't say that because it's like, here's a guy who's got 35 years of experience and he's going to beat me if I say that. You don't him. want to troll him? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know, because I'm a firm believer that there is no best way. There is no right way to quote a certain woodworking magazine. It's always the best way to do something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's however works well or best for you. But still, there's, you, you know, there's, there's practices where, um, I've found it myself and I found another way of doing it. And I'm like, man, why did I, why did you do it that way for so long? Yeah. Um, I just had this, this discovery with saw sharpening just the other day. I've been sharpening saws the same way for five years. I tried a new way and it was like 20 times easier. And okay, that's a bad example because I didn't learn that online. <laughs> I just learned <laughs> that by going, what would happen if, and I'd flip the saw around, but th- there are there are instances where I've tried a new dovetail technique and I have integrated that into how I cut dovetails that I would have never gotten that had I just stayed in my shop and plowed through. Um, and yeah. it's usually the stupid, simple stuff that you pick up from a magazine or a video. And I, I know these guys and I think of some of them that I work with every day that work in the millwork that I'm like, seriously, that's the way you're going to do that. And they've never, never thought about it because that's the way they were taught 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And that's how the person who taught them was taught 20 or 30 years ago. Sure. Yeah. And that's how the information was passed. And now it's, it's a, it's a different thing. You don't need anyone's permission to get started as a woodworker now. 
Right. Well, you know, thinking about that whole thing with like watching and reading too much online or, or, or wherever, I know I'm guilty of this and I've really been trying to, to dial it back a little bit is the because there are resources out there, you may actually find yourself that rather than attempting to to follow through on what it is you're interested in. Well, this person knows something about it, so I'll just go ahead and ask them. And I'm sure that there's times where I've waited, I don't know, 24, 48 three or four days, something like that, uh, and I'm waiting for a response. And in that, in that time, I could have easily just gone down to the shop and Got your actually answer. tried it. Yeah. You know? And then it's like, oh, because then when I get the response, I go down to the shop and I try it and I go, <laughs> oh, oops. Yeah, and I mean, I can't claim to know any statistics on this stuff, but I would have to imagine that the net is a gain, ultimately, when it comes down to how many active woodworkers are building things and sharing the craft with other people, getting uh, not just woodworkers, but clients, people, you know, the regular people interested right. in woodcraft or at least purchasing woodcraft. Um, I have to, I just have to think that it is a net gain. So who cares what some people are doing, you know, w- right. whether they're uh, actually getting anything done or not, as long as we have more people doing it than we did last year, then I think it's, it's a uh, overall positive thing. Yeah, well, I can think that, of at least- that addresses his point earlier where he says the vast majority of what's covered is geared towards beginner and novice. Well, because you do get to a point where you're like, I, I don't need to read that. I just need to go do it. Or you tackle a new project with a new skill and yeah. you just give it a shot. You know, you do get to that point where, where woodworking content becomes more for just seeing what's out there and for entertainment rather than actually learning. That's, that's a really, really good point. That reminds me of this, uh, something I think about once in a while, I get really annoyed when I see people either in forums or sometimes the feedback column of a magazine where they criticize the magazine or really this goes for anything that teaches, whether it's a a books, DVDs, magazines, um, they, they actually begin to criticize and they say, you know, I've been following this magazine for five years now and I'm sick of all the articles being about the same stuff. And I'm at the point where I want to learn this other thing and you guys aren't able to provide that for me. Um, and the problem with that is you have to understand where these, these magazines are coming from. They need to survive, right? They're a business. So the most active or proactively information seeking woodworkers tend to be the new woodworkers. So it's in their best interest to be careful how deep they go down the rabbit hole because you go too deep, you go too niche, and then suddenly you don't have as much of an audience as you would if you were covering, you know, what the best wipe on finishes this month. Um, you know, so it's just in the nature of the type of things that, that they're pr- trying to convey. And I think that can go with things like with, uh, you and I, Shannon, we could run into a situation like that. Um, and, and same thing, yeah, I'm speaking of the, the paid membership sites, but same thing with I you, I already Matt. did. <laughs> well, <laughs> when you, I look at my enrollment for my wood turning foot powered wood turning semester yeah. as compared to, it's like a third of what, and I knew that going into it, but frankly, I was indulging myself. Well, you know, it's, you're eventually going to get to a point where your student, a person who you've taught, um, because they're down a certain path and, and they're excelling and doing very well, that they will get to a point where you no longer have a whole lot to offer them. And that's what happens with these magazines. You get to the point where essentially you're kind of graduating from that magazine. There's no reason to criticize that magazine. They're doing what they've always done, Uh, but you're ready for the next thing. And a lot of people seem to take it out in an angry way at those resources because they're not growing with that person, you know? Uh, But ultimately that's kind of just the way it is. And you have to work harder then once you're at that level to find the resources that actually can help you at your next level. Right. 
when you head down that rabbit hole too with like just bringing up the whole magazine thing uh there is a very good chance that there is even fewer of you at that certain interest level that mm-hmm. you're you know that you are really into uh that are looking for these magazines and magazines need to make money <laughs> so you know you're not you're not going to find these super niche ones out there well and anytime they they did do that or there were magazines that kind of i mean you looked at the progression of popular woodworking that's exactly with, what I was thinking like with when it was just woodworking magazine when they tried that one. Yeah, yeah, and it was good, but it was very mm-hmm. niche. It was, you know, all black and white. It had a very certain uh it had a certain appeal, but it, apparently it wasn't as profitable of an appeal, so we saw the merger of the two magazines back into one. Right. Um, you know, so I don't know, it's just interesting to me to watch people do this. It's almost like getting mad at your high school because they can't teach you college level stuff because you graduated. It's like, no, celebrate the fact that you're now beyond that magazine. Now other woodworkers will come and find the new issues of that magazine and and they'll progress to a certain level. But then the internet really at this point is probably the only one of the few places most people can go to really find that niche next level stuff. You know, the deeper stuff. That's what's great about the internet is uh, people are able to share that. Well, and woodworking online is still pretty new when you think about it. So ideally we've got some pretty exciting stuff to look forward to in the next five to 10 years. Hope so. Hope so. All right. Well, uh, that should round out the show. Um, just a couple of ways to let you know that you could support us. You could do a recurring donation or a one-time donation. Uh, just go to woodtalkshow.com and look over in that side column and you'll find the links for that. You could also buy a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. You could look uh, svelte and sexy wearing one of those if you'd like. And uh, maybe we should send a couple of those to the, the ladies on YouTube. Maybe they'll wear yeah, them. There you go. Uh, maybe the NASCAR one will wear it. Yeah, well, you know, when I... Is that what you were getting at, Matt? This is more of a NASCAR kind of show. (laughs) Definitely not a Formula One show. (laughs) Well, I I do have to admit, when I put up the pictures of the Matt's Basement Workshop shirts, the first thing I received from a number of individuals was, can we get some better looking models? (laughs) Nope, we're stuck. (laughs) We're stuck with this. If my wife has to live with it, so do you. Exactly. All right, and you can also leave us a review in iTunes if you use iTunes. Just uh, look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and if you can, leave us a nice five-star rating. We'll accept four-star, three star just it won't take it you'll try to do it it'll just uh, throw back an error message so i don't yeah, recommend it's doing a plugin that. we recently installed over at itunes without them knowing about it oh wait did i get that out <laughs> nice um and that's uh, we don't really have any new ones to read so matt if you give them the contact info we'll get out of here all right hey folks do you have a comment question or maybe a topic suggestion there's several different ways you can contact us leave us a voicemail on skype our username is woodtalk online call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our Woodtalk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com, which I don't know if everybody's familiar with this or not, but leaving comments over in the show notes, it's a really great way to get a dialogue going and it's also a location that you can potentially put kickback in so that others will see it just in case you're concerned that we won't read your kickback because (laughs) we don't want to. We get too many. That's right. (laughs) Very cool. We get a lot of kickback. All right. Well, uh, I think that's just about it. I'm going to sit in a corner somewhere and hide from the rest of the family so I don't get infected. Lysol! Uh, yeah, just a nice, nice cloud of Lysol around me is all I need. I'll wear my respirator. <laughs> just fill a humidifier with it. <laughs> It'll be perfect. Is that a full-on biohazard suit? Uh, I wish I had one at this point. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Adios. What the f***? Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.